from ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I'm Bill Ritter, and we're going to begin tonight with some breaking news, a big story. Former President Donald Trump ordered to pay up big time. A jury has just awarded an additional $83.3 million to New York columnist E. Jean Carroll. She says former president, former president damaged her reputation by calling her a liar after she accused him of sexual assault. Trump insists he was falsely accused and vows to appeal all this. It's a very big deal tonight. Eyewitness News reporter N.J. Burkett was in court. He's in Lower Manhattan right now with what happened and what goes forward now. A.J. N.J. A.J. Yeah, right, right, Bill. The Trump legal team is breathing fire over this. You know, Donald Trump himself, Bill, had left the courtroom before the verdict was even reached. He learned about the verdict while on board his private jet on the tarmac at LaGuardia Airport, where he is waiting to leave uh, on his plane to go out of town for out-of-town campaign appearance. You know, E. Jean Carroll's legal team had asked for $24 million. What they got, as you know, was more than three times that. E. Jean Carroll was beaming as she left the federal courthouse minutes after the verdict was read. She posed for pictures, but made no comment to reporters. The jury awarded Ms. Carroll $65 million in punitive damages, $18.3 million in compensatory damages, for a staggering total of $83.3 million. By the time the verdict was read, Donald Trump had already left the courtroom. Absolutely ridiculous, he later posted in social media. Our legal system is out of control and being used as a political weapon. Ms. Carroll was awarded $5 million after she won her case for sexual battery and defamation last year over her decades-old allegation that Trump sexually assaulted her in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman. Trump has publicly mocked Ms. Carroll both before the verdict and since. I have no idea who this woman is. I have absolutely no idea. The whole thing is ridiculous. This trial was focused on statements Trump made as president shortly after the original allegations became public. I would be in there. I mean, it's the most ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous, disgusting story. It was just made up. There was no anything. I know nothing about this nut job. And it never took place. And I will tell you, I made that statement and I said, well, it's politically incorrect. She's not my type. Carol claimed Trump's statements led to death threats and destroyed her reputation as a respected magazine columnist. This jury needed to decide whether she's entitled to additional damages. When the president speaks, the world listens, her attorney told the jury today. The hate mail, the threats that she's gotten, they parrot Donald Trump's words. But the defense insisted that Ms. Carroll craved the publicity and reveled in it. As for the backlash from Trump supporters, President Trump should not have to pay for their threats, said his defense attorney. He does not condone them. He did not direct them. All he did was tell his truth, end quote. The defense spoke with reporters with here Trump within the hour, vowing First tonight right to, to appeal. Everybody's a right to defend themselves when they are wrongfully accused and to be able to say, I didn't do it. And to double and triple and quadruple down and say, this is wrong. This is wrong. 
Well, defending yourself is one thing, but the court ruled here that in mocking uh, E. Jean Carroll, Donald Trump went far beyond that, mocking her, ridiculing her at, at seemingly every opportunity. The jurors, several of them, smiled and nodded at Ms. Carroll as they left the courtroom for the last time. Live tonight, Lower Manhattan, NJ Burke at Channel 7, Eyewitness News. Bill? NJ, I got a million questions to ask you, and I have only less than two minutes to begin to do that. But first of all, t tell us what the mood was inside that courtroom. Well, look, it was very tense, and it's been tense, Bill, uh, for the last several days. Yeah. Uh, you know, Donald Trump uh, took the witness stand and then went far beyond uh, the scope of what the judge had given him uh, to say. That was uh, obviously very tense yesterday. Today, you know, Trump walked out. You know, it's been a very uh, sort of theatrical uh, performance in some ways by Donald Trump. You know, there were moments when he'd roll his eyes, he'd pound his fist on the table, he'd mutter under his breath, you know, uh, th this is not America. This is not right. Uh, you know, all, all kinds of things to sort of rattle the judge's cage. And, and perhaps, uh, as the judge suggested, that he can't control himself. He's so upset and so, so really annoyed uh, to be even in this position. Yeah, as so. you've been reporting, I, mean, I, I can't imagine someone leaving the courtroom before this was, you know, finalized right. by, the, by the jury. And he went to a, a plane. Yeah. He's yeah. going to fly to Las Vegas where he's giving a speech tomorrow. He could have had some time here. It's a private That's plane. Right. He can go whenever he wants to. Well, well, right, Bill, and I think a lot of us expected that he would go down the street, which is what he did uh, two weeks ago, and address the media from there, make a statement, uh, but, but he didn't do that. It, it gave me a sense, uh, Bill, that uh, he saw this coming. I don't think that he imagined that the, the award would be this high. As I said, more than three times what E. Jean Carroll had asked for, and a lot of people thought that was a lot of money. And remember also that, that he already owes her $5 million. He's appealing the $5 million award, and, and no doubt he's going to appeal this. I don't know how long, uh, realistically, he can tie this up in court, but uh, they're going to do everything they can uh, to get the award either thrown out, not likely, or reduced, which is conceivable, Bill. Right, and they want to have it done. They don't want to have it finished off before he, the presidential election. That's the key. N.J. Burkett uh, doing a great yeah. job reporting. Yeah, that's right. Uh, from Lower Manhattan on this big story. N.J., thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Uh, meanwhile, no word on what started a fast-moving fire in Plainfield, New Jersey today. A fire that killed a firefighter. 20, uh, make it 32-year-old Marquise Hudson losing his life, battling the fire at home this morning. The Plainfield mayor says Hudson reported for duty at 8 a.m. and by 8.20 they received the call that he had been gravely injured in a fire. They spent over an hour working to revive Marquis, and despite their best effort, there was nothing more that they could do to save this firefighter. And as we stand here today, the loss of firefighter Hudson is a poignant reminder of the risk our fire responders face every day. That's why they are heroes, these first responders. The Plainfield mayor says three other firefighters were injured, but they're expected to be okay. The United Nations highest court today with a strong admonition against Israel saying it must prevent acts of genocide in Gaza. Strong words, but not as strong as they could have been. That's because the UN stopped short of actually calling for an end to the war. As you can imagine, it has been swift, reaction has, from The Hague in the Netherlands, where the ruling came down, to the Gaza Strip, and to here in New York, where pro-Palestinian rallies were being held. And we've seen at least one arrest so far. I would assume reporter Jim Dolan with the story from Midtown. 
Dueling demonstrations on the east side tonight, at least one arrest, and police had to separate angry protesters from both sides of the conflict a world away in Gaza. All here with opinions on a crucial issue that roils the Middle East and beyond. Does the Israeli military campaign to destroy Hamas, a war that has resulted in thousands of deaths, amount to genocide by the Israeli Defense Forces? The highest United Nations court today said maybe. At least some of the acts and omissions alleged by South Africa to have been committed by Israel in Gaza appear to be capable of falling within the provisions of the convention. The court ordered Israel to take steps to prevent its troops from engaging in genocide against the Palestinian people in Gaza and to allow more humanitarian aid to flow into Gaza to prevent starvation and malnutrition. It did not order a ceasefire, and Israel says the war will continue. The charge of genocide leveled against Israel is not only false, it's outrageous, and decent people everywhere should reject it. Netanyahu reminded the world that the war in Gaza started on October 7th when Hamas soldiers stormed Israeli towns and massacred more than a thousand citizens and took others as hostages and human shields. Israel vowed to destroy Hamas and has waged a bloody war ever since. Pro-Palestine demonstrators took to the streets near the United Nations today, calling on the court to order a ceasefire to stop the violence. To support Palestine is to be human. Many of these demonstrators have family members in Gaza. They want the court to protect those families. We cannot consent to being silenced. We are not allowed to give up on Palestine. I am not allowed to give up on my aunts, uncles, and family in Gaza. Israel says it must protect its own citizens. We will continue to do what is necessary to defend our country and defend our people. The International Court in The Hague has no real authority. Had they issued an order for a ceasefire, it almost certainly would have been ignored. But there are negotiations going on now in Qatar about a possible ceasefire. No word on how much progress is being made. On the east side, Jim Dolan, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. And the world waits for progress to be made. Uh, time now to get a look at the weather for what's happening over the weekend. Here's Chief Meteorologist Lee Goldberg. We got a lot of clouds around right now. There might be a couple of breaks tomorrow. It's definitely a 50-50 weekend. You can count on a dry day tomorrow, which is nice. Ceiling will lift. It gets a little bright. We get some stormy weather coming in later tomorrow night into the day on Sunday and even early Monday. There have been better views from the observation deck in the Empire State Building. You can make out some of the buildings, but the ceiling is definitely lowered. And we have some areas of fog. We are in the 40s, but a four-hour drive to the south, and you get into spring and even summer today. Now, D.C. is at 68. They hit 80 today and set a record. We were not able to do that because of the northeasterly winds. We have some low visibilities. Morristown's at a half mile, eight-tenths of a mile at Belmar. So, yes, the gloomy night tonight, there's a little bit of mist patchy around the area. Not a big deal. A lot of clouds in the 40s tonight. And you can see a few sprinkles through the Catskills. Our next weather maker, that's all the way down south. It's actually blossoming now over Texas and the Gulf Coast. So what happens is we go through a dry day, and I think by midnight, tomorrow night, 
We'll get into some of the rainfall. There are steady waves of rain tomorrow night into Sunday morning. Wet snow develops well north and west. We have an AccuWeather alert because it's a soaking start to Sunday and wet snow off to the north and west. Might be a little luller in the afternoon Sunday and then rain changes snow right down the coast Sunday night into Monday morning, but minimal or no accumulation at the coast. It would be all inland. So 30s and low 40s tonight. Tomorrow's the best bet of the weekend. Hopefully we get a couple of breaks. We'll be in the upper 40s during the day. That was Lee Goldberg with the weekend forecast. Meanwhile, a school calendar controversy now in Connecticut. The school board of Stamford voting to remove two holidays. Students will not have Columbus Day or Veterans Day off for the next two school years. But as Iowa News reporter Marco Sola shows us, some people in the community say cutting the holidays is not the answer. I was commissioned in 68. Alfred Fusco is a veteran and a founding member of the Stanford chapter of the nation's largest Italian-American service organization. He says the vote this week to eliminate Veterans Day and Columbus Day as school holidays is doubly painful. It was just a gut punch. It was terrible. I had no inclination. Honoring Christopher Columbus in statues, parades, or the holiday has become a divisive issue, given his role in the evolution of colonialism and slavery. Fusco, who has written an open letter to the Board of Education, says context is critical. A lot of bad things happened in this country after the discovery. Let's not whitewash it, and I'm not going to whitewash it, okay? I said... What happened on October 12th, 1492, the discovery of America, is the most significant thing that happened in the history of the human race. The board member who spearheaded Tuesday's motion that passed 5-3 to three tells Eyewitness News, it is best for our students to be in school. I want to return even more holidays to the classroom. This year, a majority of the board was not prepared to go further. Under state law, when open on federal holidays, the district must provide a suitable educational program in observance of the day. As long as they get the history, they get the understanding, they get context of what these dates mean and how it fits into the country's history, and most importantly, they get to learn. A lot of companies and other organizations have done it and given more like floating holidays and things so uh, you know I don't have a strong opinion one way or another I would like the kids to have the day off but you know it's not up to me I guess a number of neighboring school districts already remain open during the two holidays the vote covers the next two school calendar years and opponents hope the matter will be revisited in the future in Stanford Marcus Solis Channel 7 eyewitness news meanwhile on Fire Island it's now set to get federal help fortifying its shoreline. That's a mess there, right? The area just qualified for assistance from the Army Corps of Engineers until the, now the island failed to get help because no single storm caused enough damage. U.S. Senator Schumer praising today's decision, but he stressed the need for repairs to begin immediately. And now for a change of pace. It's struggle for some of us to stay balanced on a surfboard. I started surfing when I was 14 years old, but it's no problem for this guy. Efrus, the Jack Russell Terrier, loves to surf. And he's with his owner, Mario Canella. Mario is a surf instructor. He says the techniques he uses to teach humans work equally well on pooches. Canella says they began surfing together about a year ago, the dog and him. And they are not the only dog-human duo surfing the waves off San Bartolo. A dozen or more dogs will also hang ten <laughs> this weekend. Actually, maybe hang eight, right? Do they have five toes or four on each foot? What do you think? I'm, I'm trying to ask my stage manager. We don't know. Okay, anyway, be careful, dogs. Uh, next, we hand Eyewitness News Extra Time over to Sam Ryan for this week's edition of 7 Sports Plus after the break. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome to 7 Sports Plus on Extra Time. I'm Sam Ryan. Big weekend in the NFL. It is championship weekend. The Islanders have a new head coach and the Knicks, they just keep on winning more on all that. But first, our sports short. Speaking of the red hot Knicks, they've won five in a row now, knocking off the defending champion Nuggets at the Garden last night. New York has jumped from eighth place to fourth in the East in just three weeks. They host Miami at the Garden tomorrow afternoon. You can see that right here on Channel 7. A stunner down under as Yannick Sinner upsets the top seed and defending champ in Novak Djokovic. He is out at the Australian Open. It'll be Sinner and Daniel Medvedev in the men's championship. And it is championship weekend in the NFL, both games on Sunday. First up, it's the Chiefs and the Ravens in the AFC in Baltimore. Then the Lions, they face the Niners in San Fran in the NFC championship game. To the ice now, Rangers host the Golden Knights tonight at the Garden with a look at the Rangers and the Islanders' first week under their new head coach, Hockey Hall of Famer Patrick Waugh. I caught up with Arthur Staple from the athletic there's a lot of buzz it's really uh it's kind of an unprecedented hire by the islanders they don't really bring in big names like this usually i mean we had barry trotz here a few years ago coming off a of stanley cup but not a hall of fame player like patrick waugh and i think talking to some of the players the energy he brings i think is something that they really felt like they needed uh they were kind of in a bad rut for most of this season so far so him coming in right in the middle of the year uh, bringing in some new ideas, giving them a little bit of a jolt of energy. It seems to have really worked well for the team and certainly for the fan base. It's obviously still very early, and he's discussed, um, you know, some of the adjustments he's trying to to implement here and, and what he sees from the players. What, what have the, you seen from them so far? You know, I think just a little bit more aggressiveness. I think he wants them to play at a higher tempo. Uh, you know, he's harped a little bit on turnovers, turning into shots against. This third team that gives up the second most shots in the league of any team. It's not really winning hockey to be able to put that all on your goalie. They do have Ilya Sorokin, who's been really good, but it's a lot of pressure to put on your goaltender, especially for a team that's not as successful as they've been. So I think that's the main focus, cutting down on the chances against, the shots against, having the puck a little bit more, being a little bit more aggressive on the forecheck, all things that are fixable for this team with, with the group that they have. And I think that's what Patrick Waugh has seen most, that they are a team that can turn it around in the middle of the season. Yeah, obviously that's what they're hoping to do. And you talked about the rut that they're in or have had been in. What does this shake up? What does it say from management? What is the message? I think the message is we can still be successful in this season. You know, I think the way that Lou Lamoureux talked about it on the conference call the other day, it's like making a big trade like they made last year for Bo Horvat. It says to the team, we're not giving up on this year. We're not punting to next year and seeing what we're going to do in the offseason to kind of rebuild or retool or whatever you call it. They want to win. Lou Lamoureux is 81 years old. He's not waiting around for anything. And they feel like those two trips to the conference finals they had a couple of years ago, this is still pretty much the same core, same goaltending that they have that's pretty high level. So they feel like this is the time to do it. You bring in a new coach, get that, that jolt the way maybe the St. Louis Blues did a few years ago with Craig Berube in the middle of the year. They went on to win a Stanley Cup. So uh, it's been done before, and I think they feel like they want to be able to be that team that can get to the playoffs and, and do some damage when they're there. When you look up in the division, obviously there are the Rangers sitting up top where they've been most of the season. Obviously last postseason, a disappointing end for them. What's the big difference that you see this year right now? You know, I think they've stumbled a little bit the last 20 games or so, but that start they got off to 18-4-1. It was really fueled a lot by their high-end guys, especially Artemi Panarin, who, you know, should be at the All-Star game. His wife is about to give birth, so he's got a good excuse to not be in Toronto. But he's been the engine for them, not just as a point producer that he's been his whole career and especially his time at the Rangers, but he's a big goal scorer now, 28 goals to lead the team. 
Um, you know, he's he's got more of that attacking mentality. I think maybe that coach Peter Laviolette has kind of brought to the team into the power play. Not looking to pass, he's looking to shoot. I think that's confused some opponents, and it's really opened things up for some of his line mates and maybe some of his fellow players on the power play. So when you see the, the Rangers sitting at the top of the standings, a lot of it has to do with Artemi Panarin. Yeah, and let's talk a little more about Peter Laviolette, new coach here with the Islanders, now new coach with the Rangers, obviously, this season. What have you noticed from him and, and really how the team has reacted and responded to him? I mean, they've responded really well. You, you've seen it. He's, he's a veteran coach. You know, he started here on Long Island 20 years ago, and every place he's been his first year, he's had an incredible amount of success. And I think a lot of it has to do with how he approaches the team. Certainly spent a lot of time in the summer assessing what they needed to be successful. And a lot of the team building, a lot of the off the ice stuff, a lot of players I've talked to have played for him in previous stops, talk about him and his wife, Kristen. They, they bring a real family environment. All the families are involved. I think there's a lot of togetherness right from the start of training camp. It's not just about X's and O's, and I think that's made a big difference for this team. And finally, in regards to the Rangers, heard that on Monday, um, Filipino returned to the U.S. Do you have any updates on his status, his condition, any timetable? I mean, it sounds like things are going well. It's been a very long process for him coming back from a concussion. We're into the third month now of recovery for him. Um, but, you know, his trip home to the Czech Republic, I think, kind of energized him. He posted a picture of himself with Yarmir Yager yeah. skating. So I think, you know, a big smile on Philip Heedle's face. That was really encouraging to see. And he's probably hopeful that uh, he's maybe a week or two away from returning. And what a big boost that would be to that lineup. That's essentially like getting a, a star player back in a trade uh, is getting Philip Heedle back in the lineup it would be a big boost to them. Would certainly be a huge boost. Much more to come on 7 Sports Plus on Extra Time. McDonald's All-Americans were announced this week, and for one local school, they make history. Details after the break. Well, the McDonald's High School All-Americans were announced earlier this week. 24 of the nation's top players made both the boys' and the girls' rosters. Long, Island's Luth uh, Long Island Lutherans V.J. Edgecombe, a Baylor commit, making the squad there, but there's more. The school has three more reasons to celebrate as the girls' team is sending three players. This is the first time in history the girls' roster features three players from the same high school. Our coaches actually found out during our practice, so we didn't know yet until after practice, but they just gathered us at the end and they just let us know like the good news that we made history and that we were all McDonald's on our There's been no other girls team who's had three players named. I said, you know, this team was built to make history and there's a first time for everything and tears, <laughs> tears and just raw emotion. And, and I think the tears were, holy moly, we did this together. Um, we just made history, but how special that we can share this all together. It was just a really special moment. I said, you know, for the rest of my life, for the rest of theirs, I don't know if we'll ever forget that moment. I really love them, like genuinely love everything about them, love sharing the court with them playing against them in practice, so to be able to say I'm doing it with two of my best friends, best teammates I've ever played with, it's really special and it just wouldn't be the same if we weren't all named three of them. I knew we all were good, but you know, sometimes things don't, don't go how you want them to go, but it was an amazing moment and know that we're the first ones to do that ever. It's an awesome feeling. It's pretty cool. Growing up in Canada, I didn't really think McDonald's All-American, it wasn't really on my radar at all. I thought it was going to be Biosteel All-Canadian, that's the big thing in Canada. So coming to the States, I was like, yeah, that's a possibility, but never really something I was chasing. 
So it's really a cool opportunity to be able to say I'm an All-American from Canada still representing the Maple Leaf. It's very exciting, especially like knowing that we grow girls basketball and that it's something that nobody ever done before. It's an amazing feeling. And Sila, the game now is in Houston. It's in April. What are you most looking forward to? Just playing with and against the best players in the country, seeing some friends, playing with these girls again for the end of the season before we go off to college. So I'm looking forward to it. Playing with like my two other teammates that are McDonald's Americans as well, I think that's very exciting for us. Like we love playing together like at Lujai, so I think just playing each other like in such a prestigious high school like basketball game, I think that that's really cool. And then just playing with and against like the top players in the country, I think that's always something that you look forward to. What makes this team so special? Um, I would say we're always just so happy for each other. Like if one of us has a bad day, we're all going to support, but then at the same time somebody else is going to step up, we're still going to ha be happy for each other. And that wraps up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sam Ryan.